and gentlemen. Quiet, please. Quiet, please. I suppose we had it coming to us because, in fact, we weren't as innocent as we meant to be. We were fed up with the way in which everything that came over this new magic box, the radio, was being swallowed. Anything that came through that new machine was believed. And now, on behalf of the Social Voice Project, your host for the evening, Tony Lavorna. Welcome to our Halloween radio show, brought to you by the Social Voice Project. I am your host for this evening, Tony Lavorna. Tonight we share with you stories by local actors. Our performances tonight are in the style of live radio theater, that bygone art form we most remember from radio's golden age, the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and 1950s. Did you know... The golden age of radio actually began here in the 1920s. That's right, here in Pittsburgh, PA, because of a little commercial radio station still on the air today known as KDKA Radio. Sadly, the list of classic radio shows faded in the 1950s, and later, by the invention of television, its damage was extensive to radio. The Lone Ranger, Lights Out, The Shadow, Green Hornet, The Fred Allen Show, and of course, who could forget Fibber McGee and Molly, just to name a few. The last great network radio theater program, CBS's Radio Mystery Theater, simply faded away by the 1980s. Since then, broadcast radio has given us talk radio, sports radio, and endless looping playlists of pop music, and of course, the mechanized, pre-recorded info commercials. So whatever happened to radio theater? Where did it go? Well, ladies and gentlemen, look at this stage. Look at this beautiful old little theater. Here lives radio theater kept alive by our dedicated local performing artists, such as the actors you will see and hear tonight. But wait, there's more. Yes, today's radio theater is given new life through podcasting. What's a podcast, you may ask? Why, it's like a radio, but on the internet. In fact, our show tonight is being recorded for future episodes of the Social Voice Project's new radio theater podcast now before we begin our performances i want to mention that the proceeds from tonight's show help support the rochester area heritage society a wonderful local history organization so important to this community and beaver county located right here in the rochester municipal building please visit the society on facebook and take a tour of the museum as soon as you are able. 
I also want to give special thanks to our friends and supporters tonight. For example, Mr. and Mrs. Brian and Terry Seach from the Center of the Unexplained Events, sometimes referred to Q or CCS. They're one of the longest paranormal groups in our area. To Mr. Dave Halawiko and the Little Beaver Historical Society. To Ms. Ann Farles, local psychic medium. Now, I would also like to take just a moment, if I may, for a special dedication. We're dedicating tonight's performances to one Mr. Danny Chabot. Danny was a very beloved janitor who worked here at the high school in its heyday and was loved by many. Now recently, I was able to conduct one of my local podcasts with some ladies from East Liverpool, Ohio, known as the Ohio Paranormal Investigation Team, or OPIT. And here's a sample of that program that night. To date, listeners, this case still remains open. No definitive answer has been reached at this time. Welcome to this special episode of Tony Lavorna's Legends and Lore podcast. I had gone over to the museum to work, and the secretary stopped me and asked me if I knew what was going on upstairs last night. And I said, when? And she said, at two in the morning. I said I had no clue why what happened. Well, one of the police officers came out, and he said at two o'clock they were coming in the side door, two police officers, and they heard loud music coming from upstairs, which would be the museum. And he said when they got up there, it was music from the 40s. He said the music stopped. There was a voice such as like a DJ, and the DJ's voice was just as staticky. He said there was a little talk. Then the music started again. He said that they tried to get in the door. They couldn't get in because it was locked. So they went back downstairs. So my husband and I immediately went upstairs and we looked at the security cameras. We could see the police walking around, but we saw nothing else. So I went home and I said to my girlfriend and I explained what happened and her husband who's a fireman that went to that school said oh that's just Danny Chabot She's awesome. Oh my God. Uh, Grace, I hope you're watching this. Did you tell Grace to tune into this? Oh, look at the hair. Look at the hair standing up on my. What I wouldn't give for a message like that from a loved one. Listen to this. We asked for a message for his granddaughter. I believe he says she's awesome. That is so cool. That, that, that was worth the whole trip here just to hear him say that about Grace. That's why we love to do this job. You know, it's not always about the scary stuff. Sometimes it's about the stuff that makes your heart happy. <laughs> do that again. Bring that back again. You guys, I just love that. This made my whole night. Do you want me to tell Grace anything? Ladies and gentlemen, now without any further delay, let's get on with the show. So sit back, turn off those cell phones, and enjoy our ghost tales. Act one will be The Wraith of the Mystery Mile. Paranormal science. Have you ever heard two words that sound so completely mismatched? How can the study and observance of the natural world 
lend itself to the study of things and events that are perhaps impossible to prove. This is where our modern concept of science and the classical concept of science differ somewhat. True science doesn't seek to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, but to report what it finds objectively and encourage further questions, further study. It's never finished, never settled, and always pushing us forward. And if we allow that, if we allow ourselves to push further into our understanding, we might find out that the supernatural actually does leave indelible marks on the natural. According to paranormal science, there are three types of what we would call haunting. A residual haunting, which is a playback of past events. An interactive haunting, what most of us would call a typical ghost, the spirit of a once living person. And finally, the dark spirit, the rarest of all, a malevolent force that was never human. Now of the three, only the latter is thought to be truly dangerous. The sort of encounter that would change your life, in theory. <laughs> in theory. That's all any of this was to me. It's not something I'd ever taken seriously until I had an encounter at a local history museum where I discovered the weeping apparition of a grieving mother mourning her lost child, both of which were tied to a coffin that had been unearthed from the nearby area of Squirrel Hill. When faced with such overwhelming evidence, I found I had little choice but to accept it and move on. And move on I did, to a place only miles from this very building, a place just up the hillside from the Ohio River in the little town of Industry, a place known to many as Mystery Mile. Watch, you've never heard of Mystery Mile? Maybe you should consider yourself lucky. It's a winding road through forested hillside in the industry Ohioville area. Its boundaries are limitless because nobody's entirely sure where it actually is. For some people, it's Kelly Road. For other people, it's Wolf Run Road. To others still, it's Brookwood Drive. It's a place that is steeped in legend. And a great many of those legends are the same stories that you've heard about other roads, other places. A young couple crashing their carriage or car, depending on who you talk to, and perishing. There were conflicts in the area between colonial settlers and native tribes. So the land, of course, became cursed. It's the stuff of movies. But there are other stories. Tales that animals on this road become enraged and give chase to passerby, sometimes getting themselves killed in the process. Stories of occult activity. Strange and tragic unresolved murders. This road has a lot of history. And my dad, upon hearing of my interest in the paranormal, decided at one point to fill me in on some of that history. Of course, my first thought was, time to check it out. I called my friend Selena to let her know about the stories. Hello? Hey, up for an investigation? Of course, where? Some road my dad used to live on. Mystery Mile, he called it. Okay, I'll meet you at the library. Cool. We always started at the library. I mean, sure, we could research online, but we both prefer the feel of books and newspapers in our hands as we track down information. We learned a little bit. We discovered that the region had indeed once been full of various native tribes. From the Delawares that settled in Sakonk, which is modern-day Beaver, 
to the mysterious Monongahela tribe that vanished without a trace. In fact, the entire Ohio River Valley is replete and rife with historical accounts like this. Those old stories of conflicts between natives and colonials definitely have some foot in reality. There are several attacks that are historically documented. Now as to the other details, missing kids, occult activity, we found very little to back that up. Nor could we narrow down the mile's actual location. The stories we turned up were as heavily divided as people's various opinions as to whether it was Wolf Run, Kelly, or Brookwood. And some stories even seem to get mixed up with Mudlick Hollow, which is another notoriously haunted road nearby here. I don't think we're going to find much else. Yeah, there's just nothing really documented about it, which is weird. Usually you find something. Well, maybe that's a good sign. Maybe we're on to something. One way to find out. It was a clear summer evening when we drove out to Mystery Mile. We decided to start at my dad's old house, which was abandoned. Our journey would take us on parts of Kelly Road and parts of Wolf Run Road. Now the odds of any haunting being attached to one particular slab of pavement or another were pretty slim in my estimation. More than likely, it was the forest, not the pavement. As we pulled up to the house, I began to feel uneasy. The air had a peculiar chill to it, even though the late summer heat continued to hang on. The house itself was more corpse than building. It seemed to stare at us through the hollow eyes of two massive, broken second-story windows. Its yawning mouth had collapsed in upon itself, with splintered teeth emerging from the porch's fallen roof. The shattered tree in the yard reached out of the ground like a skeletal hand, trying to pull the building back together and save it from its brown and dusty grave. A nearby barn was completely inaccessible. The roof had collapsed. So one could imagine our surprise when we heard the low, throaty call of a cow emanating from that direction. Probably from another farm, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's it. Not much left here. I wonder if there's even a way in. Well, it seems like it. Look there, the window. <laughs> Are you kidding? I'm not climbing through that. But over there, maybe? The door looks like it might still open. I think you're right. Let me give it a try. Not much left in here. Look at the stairway. Huh, completely gone. I'm gonna get a closer look. Whoa, James. Ooh, it's a cold spot. It's like a freezer in here. Get the EMF meter. Right, right. Man, it's spiking like crazy over here. Wait, do you feel that? It's warming up. The spikes are dropping too. I don't know, maybe, maybe it was just some kind of residual juice left in the house. Right? I mean, that was a huge spike. But with the cold spot too? I, I don't think... <sighs> that was definitely not residual juice. No. Let's get out of here. You don't want to at least try an EVP? <sighs> I mean, we could. I don't know. On second thought, let's just get out of here. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Abandoning the house, we decided to go for a stroll in the forest. 
We drove a little deeper down to Wolf Run Road and left the car in a safe spot. We stuck closer to the forest because the narrow roadway left us a little room to walk and we didn't want to end up becoming or causing a traffic accident. Not that I had seen any cars pass by since we'd arrived. The forest was thick and it seemed to grow thicker and more oppressive with every step. I found it strange that the trees that rose high into the night above us were all dead and their skeletal fingers reaching for the sky. It was far too early for that. No other trees we had seen had so much as shed their leaves yet. The bony fingers of the trees shook as the wind picked up. The peculiar chill returned, and although it was fairly early, the sky above us was black as pitch. No stars greeted us, no moon, nor any trace that any of these things even existed in that black veil above. Ugh, that smell. What is that? It smells like rotten meat. Oh my god, there's so much of it, I, 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 I can't see you. James! As the fog overcame me, my skin began to crawl. Its touch was wrong. A violation, a thing to shrink away from, as if death itself were running its decrepit fingers across my arm. I drew my arms into my chest, but it did nothing to lessen the nausea I felt at the touch of this unnatural and living fog. For a few moments, it grew thick, far too thick to see through. I lost sight of Selena. I called out for her, but the sound fell dead at my feet. I knew even as the words left my mouth, she couldn't hear them. I barely heard them, and I had spoken them. As quickly as it came on us, the fog began to clear. Well, I say clear, but in reality, it began to coalesce. It grew thicker and smaller, taking on vaguely human-like qualities, and eventually splitting into vaguely human-like shapes. Perhaps it was the pallor of the fog, or the two small, shifting lights that seemed to appear near the tops of the forms, but they looked distinctly like young men if only for a few seconds before they became formless. These vaporous shifting shapes formed a circle around me, gathering as if in some kind of ritual. The fog shifted, arms formed, raised, dropped. A whisper emanated from somewhere I couldn't pinpoint, words I couldn't understand repeated over and over again. All around me, the forest sprang to life. Trees shook violently, leaves rustled, twigs snapped. A feeling arose from the pit of my stomach, a sense of mortal terror I had never felt before. This compelled me to move, to get out of there before escape became impossible. Yet I was transfixed by the sight in front of me, unable to process it, unable to understand it, until I heard... (coughs) Selena! Selena, where are you? (coughs) There you are. What happened? Are you okay? Where did it go? It was right here! I thought it touched me! What? What touched you? Where is it? Selena, I I don't... I don't know! (laughs) Alright, alright, come on. We're getting out of here. I dragged Selena away from there, back to where we had parked the car. When I took my own seat, I expected the car to stall out. When it didn't, I breathed a sigh of relief. Selena never told me what she saw, and it took a long time 
and much reflection before we ever attempted another investigation. Part of that reflection was coming to terms with the illogic of it all, the impossibility of what we had seen. If modern paranormal science is reliable, we experienced not one, not two, but all three types of hauntings in a single night. My father's old dead house was very much alive with an interactive haunting. The horror of the living fog showed us events that transpired long ago that continued on again in front of us. I had little doubt that the whispered rumors of the cult activity had been true, judging from what we saw with the residual haunting in the forest. That being the case, it wasn't hard to guess the source of the third, the dark spirit. If indeed there had been some kind of ritual performed, it would stand to reason that those boys might have let something out over which they had no control. It was this malevolent force that compelled us to run, this force that struck that mortal terror into my soul. Certainly, the darkness I felt could have been part of the residual haunting. At least, it's what I tell myself when I feel that presence once again on cold, lonely nights and it threatens to overwhelm me. Science would suggest that the odds of encountering a dark spirit are extremely slim that the odds of encountering all three in one night are non-existent. I say science doesn't have all the answers. I'm not so sure anyone does. I don't. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you act two, Ghost Hunt with Mr. Dave Holowico and the Social Voice Project players. The station with the best music. Best music. I love the music. Best music. Yeah, didn't that leave you high, huh? Left me feeling tree-top tall. And that's all for the hot metal hour tonight. Yes, yes, yes. This is Smiley Smith, your famous disc jockey, here at the Hot Metal Hour, home for the season. I'll be back again tomorrow night, minus the music, but with a little surprise for you. Tomorrow night, Friday night, as you know, is stunt night here at WXP, and have I got a stunt for you. Last week, you remember, I planted my wire recorder in the steam room at the Ladies' Turkish Bath and let you listen in on that playback. <laughs> remember? Well, tonight, as soon as I leave the studio, do you know where I'm going? Hmm? Your friend Smiley is going to spend the night in a haunted house on a spook hunt. You heard me, a spook hunt in a haunted house. I'm bringing my little wire recorder along with me, and if you tune in tomorrow evening at this time, you'll learn what it's like to spend the night in a haunted house. Ain't that something? <laughs> a real haunted house, no kidding. Four people are known to have committed suicide there. So tune in tomorrow night and share a real thrill with your old pal Smiley, I must be crazy, Smith. Good night. Care for a cigar, Mr. Thorpe? I've no. got some cigars in the dash. No. Well, there's no reason to carry a chip on your shoulder, Mr. Thorpe. Oh, really? What, I don't like this kind of stunt. Well, I don't see it as a stunt at all. I really don't. I think it's the only way you're going to unload this house. Ordinary selling methods won't work in a case like this. Now don't forget the reputation selling this house has. Four suicides since 1939. You know what people call it. The death trap. Yes, it's a lot of nonsense. Sure, but try to convince people of that. Anyway, when the disc jockey offered me the chance to kill all these rumors about the death trap- About the property, I naturally jumped and took him up on it. Especially since it don't cost us a cent. You're sure about that? I'm not liable for a penny? Not a cent. We're doing him a favor letting him use the place, he said. Thanked me for the chance last night when I drove him out here. 
So one hand washes the other, as the feller said. He gets a chance to pull off a stunt, and the wire recording will prove to people the property is A number one, and we increase the chance of selling this place. Well, as long as it doesn't cost me anything. Not a thing. He's using his own recorder and paying for the rental of a couple walkie-talkies he hooked up to it. Well, uh, what about this, uh, Reed? Does he charge anything? He comes gratis, too. Dr. Reed is a... What you call it, a psychic investigator, belongs to a couple societies that do nothing but hunt ghosts. He showed me articles he'd written about it in some magazine. There's the house. Looks real nice in the sunshine, don't it? Man, smell that sea breeze. <laughs> you don't have to sell me. Well, let them know we're here. I don't see anything. Probably asleep. Up all night and everything. Well, why don't they come out? You think they've gone? I told him last night I'd pick him up around 11. Smith! Smith, hey, Smiley! Dr. Reed! Yeah, fast asleep, I guess. We'd better go wake him up. Of course, they may have taken the bus back to town. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's a two-mile hike back to the main highway. Smith! Hey, Smiley! Where are you? Wake up! You don't suppose... do you? No, 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 no. Smith? Dr. Reed? What's that... That clicking noise from in there. That's his wire recorder. He left it running. These machines cost a lot of money. Doesn't he care if he uses up his batteries? Well, where is he? And where is this reed? Maybe they're upstairs? Smith? Anybody home? They must have walked to the highway and taken the bus. Well, he wouldn't have left his machine. Well, where are they then? Where are they? Don't get excited, Mr. Thorpe. Don't tell me not to get excited. If something's happened to them in my house, I'm liable. You try this side, I'll try the other one. All right. Smiley? Smith? Smith? Oh, McDonald, come here. What? Oh no, Reed. Dr. Reed, don't touch him, Mr. Thorpe. You'll get your hands all- Vlad, is he dead? I can still feel his pulse, but we better get him to a hospital fast. Care for a cigar, Mr. Thorpe? No, no thanks. Why not try to relax? The nurse said Reed would be all right as soon as he had a blood transfusion. You told me the radio station to be sure and call us as soon as they had any word about Smith? I told him. Why don't you sit down? Oh, I'm all at sixes and sevens. What do you suppose happened out there last night? Well, we're going to know in just a second as soon as I can get the recorder set up. You don't suppose Smith and Reed got into a fight, do you? And there. A, a fight? I, I don't know. Well, what's wrong? Won't it work? It works. Take it easy. Testing. One, two, three. Testing. One, two, three. All set, Dr. Reed? Mr. McDonald? Eh? Okay, here we go. This is Smiley Smith speaking. Smiley Smith the Ghost Hunter. I don't know whether to hope if this will turn out to be a success for the sake of the program or a failure for my own sake. Anyway, all the preparations have been made now, and it's up to the spooks. I'd better tell you where we are. Right now, we are standing on the lawn of a house about 12 miles above Malibu Beach. The ocean is 100 feet away, straight down. The house is perched up on a cliff, and there is a sheer drop of about 100 feet right into the old Pacific. Maybe you can hear the surf pounding. Let me turn up the volume. Hear it? Now I'm going to have to have you meet two gentlemen here who are, incidentally, the only people around for miles and miles. First, I'd like you to meet Dr. Clarence Reed of the British and American Psychical Research Guild. Dr. Reed is a famous investigator of psychic phenomena, and I'm very honored to be associated with him on this ghost hunt. 
He's smiling at me in an embarrassed sort of way. You're much too kind, Mr. Smith. Dr. Reed has conducted experiments in this field with such great believers in spiritualism as Oliver Lodge and Arthur Conan Doyle. He looks a bit like Santa Claus. He's short, stocky. You don't object, do you, Dr. Reed? <coughs> no. No, indeed. And he has a magnificent beard. A truly great beaver. Dr. Reed is so enthusiastic about ghost hunting that he got out of his sickbed this evening to be with us. <coughs> Excuse me, my, my lungs. I, <coughs> I was gassed in the First World War. Well... Anyway, Dr. Reed and I are here on the lawn looking at the house. Can't see much. It's around, oh, 11 p.m. Seems to be a rambling sort of house. Two stories high. Since it was built, there have been four suicides. Is that right? That's right. Now into the mic. Four suicides since 1939. I better tell them who you are so they won't think you're a ghost, eh? <laughs> Standing with the doc and me is a real estate agent, Mr. Charles McDonald. He handles this property, and he can tell you a lot more about it than I can. Well, the house was built by a man named Martin. Toby Martin, an orange grower. Built the house as a wedding present for his wife. A month after they moved in, though, she took her own life. On the day of her funeral, he committed suicide the same way. There have been two other cases since then, and I... Did uh, they all jump in the ocean? Yeah, all four of them, right over there. The last one was actually seen doing it. About three years ago now, he was seen running like all get out towards the edge of the cliff and he was shouting and laughing and yelling as though there were people beside running right alongside with him. You're kidding. No, it's a fact. He was laughing and yelling and running and when he got to the edge, right over there, he jumped and never came back above water. As good an argument against cold baths as I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, since then, people just refuse to live in the house. Silly, I call it. Anyway, if you and Dr. Reed find any sign of a spook, I'll get the owner to pull the house down and rebuild. But if you don't find anything, I'm hoping this will convince folks that here's a real buy. Well, okay, Mr. Smith, you and the doctor are on your own. I'll be by in the morning to pick you up around 11. Goodbye, Mr. McDonald. I hope there's something left for you to pick up in the morning. <laughs> well, it's almost pitch black, folks. I guess Dr. Reed and I bought to begin. I don't believe in ghosts. Never have. But what I have to say is this. If you're dead set on looking for them, this is a dandy place to look. So long. Mr. McDonald just checked out. And then there were two. Well, three. Ah, my dog. Folks, I have my dog Jeff with me. He's a wired-haired terrier. He's three years old and he can talk. Say hello, Jeff. Say hello. Now, how do we hunt ghosts, Doctor? Like, how do we do it? We don't really hunt them. If there should be any in the house, they will come to us. How cozy. And please, not ghosts. Do not refer to them as ghosts. We know them as apparitions. Apparitions, I'll remember. I've no desire to hurt their feelings. Where ghosts are concerned, I say live and let live. Ah, uh, should we go inside, Dr. Reed? I was about to suggest it. Well, we've opened the front door now. Now we're standing here looking in. Can't see much. Smells sort of musty and damp. What's the matter, Jeff? What's the matter, boy? Jeff! Uh, come on! Come on! My dog seems to object to entering this house. He has all four feet braced and he's straining against the leash. Perhaps he senses something we don't. Like 
Aberrations, maybe? Yes, it's not unusual. Animals lack the veneer of sophistication we humans possess. They are more sensitive to such emanations. Yeah, well, come on, Jeff. Stop this nonsense. Probably smells a mouse or a rat or something. Come on, Jeff. We're going in whether you like it or not. There's a short entrance hall, and over there is the end of a flight of stairs leading to the second floor. Jeff, and over here is, to the left is what seems to be a large reception room. We're entering this large room now. There are windows over there, French windows. Through them I can see the ocean. The electricity hasn't been turned on, so all we have to see is by flashlight. Not a very powerful one at that. Dr. Reed is now adjusting his walkie-talkie. It's hooked up to my recorder so he can cut in while he's hunting and tell us what he's found. Here's a few words from the doc before he sets forth on his investigation through the house. Ladies and gentlemen, <coughs> Mr. Smith has introduced me as a ghost hunter. He spoke, I think, in a spirit of skepticism and levity. I'd like to assure you that all that my purposes here are serious. I have spent my entire life seeking reliable proof of the appearances of apparitions. Have you ever seen any? Ever? I have seen phenomena which leads me to believe in the possibility of their existence, although I have never seen any. I account myself sensitive to the evidence of their existence. Uh, this house, for example, affects me profoundly. It doesn't seem to affect you in the same way. I'm not too happy about all this, if that's what you mean. You are not psychic, and therefore are not sensitive to these matters as I am. I imagine the question that is in the minds of those of you listening to us is, shall we find apparitions? I don't know, but I feel they are here and that they are evil. I sense danger. I shall soon know. Dr. Reed's leaving now, going to make a tour of the house. First thing I'm going to do is open the windows and let some fresh air in. Ah, oh, feels better already. Well, cooler anyway. I know that. What was that? A bat! A bat just flew into the room. I think it was a bat. No, not a bird. I actually didn't see it. Just its shadow as it fanned my face. There it is again. It touched me as it passed. Jeff! Jeff! Come back here, Jeff! Oh, you fool dog! Come back here! Dr. Reed. Dr. Reed. Dr. Reed. Reed speaking. What is it, Smith? Jeff has run off. My dog! He jumped out the window and ran off. Oh. Well, so, I told you he sensed something about this house, didn't I? Yeah, you want to come and see if you can determine what it was exactly that set him off? Well, soon. I'm making my way slowly up the stairs toward the second floor now. I'm halfway up. I'll be down with you soon. Well, folks, my dog's run away. You probably heard him howling. He jumped through the window and took off. Never did anything like that before. Frightened by the bat, I guess. Personally, alone here in this big room, I can understand how he must have felt. This isn't a cheerful spot by any means. <clears throat> I may not be psychic, but I sure have a feeling this house doesn't want us here. <coughs> Read again. <coughs> Excuse me. I have something of great interest to report. I am now standing in an alcove on the second floor, trying to recover my breath. As I reached the head of the stairs, I felt what I think is a definite psychic manifestation. 
I felt suddenly as though I had been punched in the solar plexus. That's the only way I can describe it. At the same time, I began to perspire. Now my head is still swimming slightly. I have difficulty in swallowing. My pulse rate is around 110 at the minute. The sense of evil is very strong. I feel very, what shall I say, profoundly depressed. You want me up there? No, no, I prefer to remain up here alone. The presence of a disbeliever such as you might interfere with my investigation. Folks, I'd like to get a picture of what it's like here. Very quiet, for one thing. I've never been in such a quiet place. And it's pretty dark. No light except for my flashlight. Tell you what, you go now and douse all the lights you have. Go, go ahead. Put out all the lights, and that will give you a clearer feeling of how it is here. Go ahead, put out your lights. Hey, did you hear that? (laughs) Real estate agent told me they'd probably hear rats and mice in the walls. Well, I can certainly hear them now. Even you can hear them, I think. It's as though... Dr. Reed speaking. I've been working my way toward the front room, the one directly above the one in which Mr. Smith is now. Now the vibrations have become stronger, more and more pronounced as I approach it. I think I am on the verge of an important discovery. Important discovery? Did you get that? Oh, hope he finishes his investigation soon. Quite frankly, I'd like to get out of here. I can well imagine why people becoming unhinged in a place like this. Right now, I feel myself pretty jumpy. Not being very brave, am I? Being alone in this room down here, it's this darn house. I mean, you know, the atmosphere is so very... I wish only to make this hurried report before continuing with the investigation in this room. I've carefully sounded out all the parts of this room, and the emanations are most strong from what appears to be a closet, before which I am now standing. As soon as I open the door to this closet, I will have, I think, a thing of great interest to communicate. I find no key to the lock, so I will attempt to remove the hinges with my penknife, and I will tell you what I find when I open it. I'll tell you what it would cost me to open that door. In the basement of four... No- There's that bat again. Each time it passes, it touches my face or my neck with its wings. Smelly things, bats. I don't suppose they bathe very often, if at all. I wonder... Ah, Get away, you bat! That bat'll be the death of me. Hey, it's like a jingle, isn't it? Bat'll be the death of me, the death of me, the death of me. Bat'll be the death of me. It isn't far from... London, no, uh, isn't the way it goes. Come down to Q in lilac time, in lilac time. Come down to Q in lilac time, for it isn't far. Boy, I haven't thought of that since I was a kid in grammar school. Gee, and a lonely childhood when you come right down to it. I mean, well, <clears throat> that's my affair, isn't it? Yes, it is. It certainly is. I have succeeded in removing the hinges to the door, and I find inside that it is not a closet, but much larger. It is, I think, a dressing room. I have not yet been inside, but I am about to enter. Did you hear that? Did you hear it? Dr. Reed must have knocked something over in the uh, dressing room. Uh, A chair, huh? Yeah, a chair. A heavy chair, by the sound of it. This chair, or whatever it was, must have fallen right over my head. That's the way it sounded. I, I can see a small stain. 
forming on the ceiling right above my head. <gasps> Something just ran across my foot. A rat, I think it was. Oh, I've always hated rats. Most people do, of course. That stain up there bothers me. It has gotten so big so soon. I think I'll take a chance and bother Reed and ask him what it is. <clears throat> Dr. Reed, Reed, can you hear me? Are, are you all right? Hello? Well, he didn't answer. I think he's just a little bit deaf. Think so? What do you suppose he's found, huh? <laughs> I'm afraid this is rather dull for you listeners. I'm not finding it, so, of course. <coughs> there. I heard him cough. Did you hear that cough? Oh, I hope he's all right. He got out of his sick bed to come here this evening, you know. <coughs> Reed, speaking, I... Hello? Oh, he switched off. That's a bad cough he's got. Hey, that stain on the ceiling, it's grown amazingly. Like a body laying on its back with its arms stretched out. You know, listeners, I really believe I'd go completely crazy if I had to stay here much longer. It's so close and musty in here. I feel sort of trapped. Don't know why I said that. That's why they call this place, you know, the death trap. There. What did I tell you? That stain started to drip. Drop. Drip, drop. Drip, drop. Drip, drop. I'll catch the next one in my hand and let you know. <gasps> Reed! Dr. Reed! I'm, I'm going upstairs now, listeners. I'm afraid something has happened to Dr. Reed. I'm not kidding now. I mean, this is on the level. Which room could it be now? Right? Left. No. Right. Right. This is it. I think. Good evening, gentlemen. And madame. Now, what have you done with the doctor, hmm? I know, I know, he's been hurt. See the color of the bubble on my hand? What have you done with him? Make way. Gentlemen, please, make way. Well, if this isn't the funniest, the funniest darn thing. <laughs> this can't be Dr. Reed lying here. He didn't have a red beard. Now, don't crowd me, gentlemen. Don't crowd me, please. Huh? You want me to go with you? You want me to do what? Down to the cliffs? You mean right now? <laughs> well, all right. If you'll come with me. You will come with me. All of you. All four of you? You too, ma'am? Oh, good. Come then. To the cliffs. To the cliffs. To the cliffs. To the... He jumped over the cliff. He jumped over the cliff, McDonald. He jumped over the cliff. Mr. McDonald, Mr. Thorpe, you may come in to see Dr. Reed now. What? Dr. Reed is awake. You may see him now. Is he able to talk? Just for a few minutes. In here. Come in. Come in, gentlemen. Uh, we've been waiting to see you. Yes, and I must apologize, gentlemen. I've had a most unfortunate accident. Hemorrhage. A hemorrhage? Yes, my lungs, you know. Now, gentlemen... Hemorrhage? Dr. Reed... What happened in that house? What happened to Smith? We've been listening to a playback of the recordings you made out there. Smith? He isn't with you. We've just heard the recording, Dr. Reed. Smith jumped over the cliff, into the ocean. Oh, that poor boy. Dr. Reed, would you please tell us what happened? From what we heard on the recording, there were ghosts in the house. Ghosts? I didn't see any ghosts. Uh, but Smith, what about him? If he went over the cliff, it was fear that drove him over. But Dr. Reed, uh... Gentlemen... I didn't see any ghosts. As for that unfortunate young man, 
Who can say now what he saw or thought he saw? and gentlemen, I give you the tale, The Pig Lady of Candleton. For more than two centuries, the ghost of a young woman named Barbara Davison has haunted the area around Candleton Road in northern Beaver County. Barbara Davison's story begins around the start of the American Revolution. She was born in South Carolina in 1777, the daughter of a rice planter, Samuel and Cora McCaskey. When the British invaded, the family was forced off their property. Samuel fought on the side of the rebellion. For his services, he received a small parcel of land, after which the family relocated on a piece near the Little Beaver River, known today as Darlington Township in Beaver County. Barbara, like most, grew up taking care of the family farm, performing mundane chores. She would go about tending to the livestock. It was the chickens and the pigs that she worked with the most. Day after day, she would toil over the beasts. The smell of the pig corrals takes one's breath away. In the mud, she would stomp through each day. But at night, it was different. Barbara was a social creature. She was always well-received by her Scottish neighbors. Barbara was said to possess a beautiful singing voice with musical talent. She was said to have long, beautiful hair with a fair complexion. It was no mystery why many young suitors were attracted to her. She gave her heart to an army veteran by the name of Nathan Davidson. Davidson was from Virginia and was already established in the community there. So at the tender age of 15, the newlywed couple moved to Virginia. Now we do not know what happened to their marriage. There was a following out by 1794. Barbara would return home to her parents' farm and subsequently her death. It would be a sweltering summer's day in 1795 that her family would make a several-day routine trip to Pittsburgh to purchase more livestock. Barbara stayed behind to tend the farm. Little did Samuel and Cora realize this would be the last time they would look upon their beautiful daughter's smiling face. It would be the last moment of their child's life. Samuel looked at Cora, gazed out, over his farm, surveying the land, finally coming to rest on the sight of his beautiful daughter. At the crack of the lash, they were off down the old dark road. Several days had elapsed since their journey to the Pittsburgh market with their livestock in tow. The McCaskies returned to the farm Upon the family's return, Barbara was nowhere to be found. They searched for five hours. Something was wrong. They would ask the neighbors first. No one had seen her. 
The Nikaskis would ask for their neighbors' help to gather a search party. They looked everywhere. The woods, the farmyard, even the barn. Regrettably, they would find Barbara Davidson's contorted, headless body stuffed underneath the crawl space of the family house. Her head was severed and missing, nowhere to be found. It was almost too much for the family to bear. Despite their best efforts, the authorities were never able to apprehend the killer. Her death shattered the peace and tranquility of the small community. The McCaskies would bury their daughter two miles from their home in a small country cemetery. But this is not the end of our story, our tale. Barbara Davison wrestles ghosts seeking retribution for her killer. You see, Barbara, headless form has allegedly been seen by many. Her ghost walks the woods surrounding her old farm. Even the cemetery, the people claim to hear cries where her headless body was once laid to rest. Late at night, some teenage youth are out on the wooden footbridge that crosses over the Little Beaver River. Sometimes it's referred to as the Hippie Bridge, as it is called, and there we can find a young man who takes a drag on his cigarette, his friends tormenting him about his lack of courage. Up yours, he barks to them as he slowly walks to the footbridge alone. As he nears the end of the bridge, the air grows thick. Each step he takes slower than the last. See nothing, I told you, uh... but just then a fog develops. It envelops him. The air grows so cold, her shape forms slowly out of a column of mist. As the young man turns, he sees a woman sobbing. As he approaches, the sobbing turns into a grunting. The boy's eyes grow wide at the spectacle before him. It is the apparition of Barbara Davidson's form with the head of a pig. Terror bolts through him as he runs for his life. Could it be she decided to use a pig's head to scare the would-be visitors because she tended to the beasts in life? Barbara's head was never found. There has always been speculation to its fate. Some believe the head was thrown in an old mine that was above Candleton Road. Many have claimed to see a bodiless head frightening those who walk the road. One such tale long ago, not long after her death, involves a man by the last name Gray. Gray was bringing a wagon fully loaded with fresh-picked apples down the road. He struggled to see where he was going. It was a combination of his kerosene lantern and the moonlight that aided him. As he slowly passed the mine shaft, he was startled by a glowing ball of light. The glowing ball emerged directly in front of his wagon. It spooked his horses, causing them to run frantically. The glowing ball formed into a head and attached itself to the lead horse. At that, Gray realized the head had long flowing hair. The head would turn and face him. 
It had red, glowing eyes. The ghostly head tormented the poor animal as Gray fought to keep his wagon upright. Apples would fly out at every bump. The spectacle finally came to an end. When the ghost's head left the horse, it vanished into the mine. Now those tales were from long ago, but what about something more recent? While out on the farm not long ago, a volunteer was sitting around a campfire. The apparition materialized out of a campfire smoke. As the man sat there astonished, watching the smoke change into the form of a woman with no head, the man quickly wiped his eyes. A woman's voice then slowly began to speak to him. Tell them, Reno, Reno. The apparition vanished into the thin air. Startled, the man tried to remember the words he heard from that ghost. Eventually, he realized the specter was saying a name. The French name was Renault. Ironically, there was a French Indian trapper whose name was Renault that resided around the time of Barbara's death and demise. The trapper had a bad reputation amongst the town folk. Could it be that Barbara Davison was attempting to name her killer from beyond the grave? Now the only thing left is a small wooden replica of a tomb that reads Barbara Davidson. A headless form neath this mold doth lie, murdered most foul, loved by all, save one. Happy Halloween, everybody. It's the legend of La Iorona. In Greek mythology, sirens of the sea led sailors to their deaths using their songs and woman-like appearances. Gaelic lore tells of the Banshee, a supernatural crone who heralds the death of a loved one. In the grand tradition of vocal, ghoulish women the world over, there's a special legend from Central America, La Iorona, or the Weeping Woman. As with all good ghost stories, this vengeful spirit experienced betrayal, madness, and tragedy. It started centuries ago in a remote village in Mexico. A young woman, Maria, led an easy but unfulfilling life. She was renowned in her small community for her astounding beauty. She often wondered what the rest of the world could offer. One day, a wealthy nobleman and his detail were passing through town. The nobleman noticed Maria and vowed to himself to make her his bride. Maria could not have been more pleased with marrying a wealthy, handsome man. However, this period of lust was short-lived, as her groom was ultimately unwilling to part with his existing playboy lifestyle. Not to mention the nobleman's parents were upset with him marrying beneath his status. Maria and the nobleman were blessed with twins shortly after their vows were exchanged. One boy, one girl. Maria and the nobleman's relationship deteriorated within a few years of their marriage. His love for the children was greater than that which he had saved for his wife. His small family was nowhere near enough for the nobleman, and he often went on long trips by himself. Every time he departed, it took him longer and longer to return. Maria's worst suspicions were confirmed, as one trip, he failed to return altogether. 
Heartbroken, Maria still raised her son and daughter and prayed fervently every night to never endure another heartache like that again. Some years later, Maria and her children were cleaning clothes in the river near town. She spotted a lavish stagecoach stop just outside of the town's limits. A familiar face stepped out of the cab. It was the nobleman. Followed closely behind was his new young bride, younger than Maria was when they met some time ago. Overwrought with despair and blinded with rage, Maria lost control of her faculties. She wrestled her children to the water and drowned them at the same time. Some speculated it was a misguided effort to punish her estranged husband. Others will say it was her giving up on a cruel world. But she came too. Some minutes later and the deed was done. Her boy and her girl face down in the gentle running water. The nobleman missed the entire disaster as his stagecoach was long gone and having absolutely nothing left in the world, Maria drowned herself. After her final act, neither heaven nor hell could accept her soul. Now to this day, her cries draw men, women, and children towards the water all over Mexico and the Southwest. She desires to recreate her broken family with the victims she claims. And those who survive her encounters all say the same thing. Her face is covered by the same veil she wore on her fateful wedding day. The Legend of Betty Knox. Perhaps there is nothing more frustrating or sad than a missing person case, especially one that has never been solved. Such is the case with Betty Knox of Dunbar, Pennsylvania. Her story begins back in 1842 on the ridges of the Dunbar Mountains in Fayette County. There, on a rough farm at Kentuck Knob, Betty Knox was born. She would be the only child that her parents would have. Much like the difficult land they worked, farming life had many hardships. When sickness came, the isolated mountain families had few doctors to turn to, and those that they did often had limited training. Not that a doctor would have helped the Knox family. Young Betty was only three years old when her mother died from consumption, which was basically untreatable. Her father raised young Betty the best that he could in such circumstance. As time passed, Betty became strong and skilled mountain farmer. She was able to perform the work of any man, and her father relied on her to help with all the tasks that were performed to make the farm run properly. 19th century farming life was difficult to say the least. Young Betty was responsible for, or assisted with, clearing the land, plowing, planting, weeding, and reaping. Between the larger tasks, she found time to raise livestock and cook. It was that Betty grew into a very beautiful young woman with her long auburn hair, a fair complexion, and blue eyes. One could imagine why she was often pursued by all the young men who lived in the lonely hollows around Kentuck Knob. Being both beautiful and skilled at farm work made her the desire of many. However, Betty resisted all their advances and turned away all potential suitors, waiting for someone she truly loved. It was in her 17th birthday that a freak timber cutting accident took the life of her father. The tragedy left Betty all alone on the mountain, but farming was her life and she would not abandon her parents' homestead. 
In order to supplement her meager income, Betty had to take on additional difficult work. She began to haul grain in a wagon pulled by her ox for other nearby farmers. The young woman drove her ox and the grain-filled wagon over the mountains to the gristmill in Ferguson Hollow. In the evening, she would return the flour to the farmers. The grueling trip was approximately 25 miles in total and would consume the entire day. Betty followed the same trail so many times that part of it is still visible today. Other evidence of her journey survives as well. Betty Knox Park exists in the state game lands. On a level piece of land, she usually traversed near Dunbar Creek. Nearby is a spring that she frequently rested at on her long journey. To make its clean water more accessible, she lined it with stones. Betty did eventually encounter one man whom she became enamored with, but like many other things in her life, it was a situation that ended tragically. One fall evening in 1862 during the Civil War, Betty came upon a wounded soldier on her return from the gristmill. The young man was said to have deserted from the Union Army and wandered north into Fayette County. He was seriously wounded and delirious with fever. Betty took pity on the soldier and took him back to her farm. Desertion was a serious charge, so she kept him hidden from any unknown visitors. As she nursed him back to health, Betty began to develop strong feelings for the young man. He remained with her for over a year, never fully recovering from his injuries. The harsh mountain winter did not help his situation, and eventually the young soldier succumbed to his wounds. Betty would bury him near her father's grave on Kentuck Knob. Following the death of the soldier, Betty resumed her daily trips over the mountains. Betty and her ox became quite known amongst the people of the region in the coming years, especially during the harvest. Even though she was welcomed by all, she always kept a reserved distance. Her persistent and dedicated hard work had won her respect. But this is where our story turns into a mystery for the ages. Sometime in 1878, Betty Knox's famous mill trips came to an abrupt end. Betty Knox, who made countless trips to the Ferguson Grist Mill, had vanished without a trace. The local farmers began to notice the grain had piled up in the log barns. Neighbors assumed at first that she took ill. A small posse went to her farm expecting to find her there in bed. To their surprise, she was nowhere to be found. A search party was then assembled to scour the nearby woods and her trail to the grist mill. Still, no clue as to her whereabouts could be found. Amongst the locals, speculation grew as to her fate. Some thought she may have been attacked by a scorned lover or a wild animal and dragged off into the wilderness. Others guessed that she may have left willingly out of loneliness. The mystery deepened the following spring when some children made a startling discovery while out in the woods. Chained to a tree, they found the skeleton of an ox. This was highly unusual because the spot had been searched thoroughly months before. No one reported seeing a chained ox, and Betty was never known to use a chain to lead her oxen. Whatever happened to the ox, many of the local farmers believed that the animal had belonged to Betty. To this day, the case has never been resolved. And at this point, it is not likely that we will ever know what happened to her. That does not mean, however, that people have not continued to see Betty. 
It is frequently reported that her pale specter wanders the old trail, sometimes on foot, sometimes driving her ghostly oxen and wagon. If Betty Knox herself is not seen, sometimes her creaking wagon and the hoofs of her oxen can be heard. Legend of her restless ghost has been passed on since her disappearance, and Betty Knox Park is frequently visited by those looking to interact with the ghost. Some visitors claim to not only hear her ghost, but perhaps that of her fallen soldier as well. Allegedly, if you stand by the crossing at Dunbar Creek on a dark night, you can sometimes hear a man whispering, Betty Knox, Betty Knox. Does the ghost of this strong yet tragic woman still linger in the location of her unexplained demise? Or does the legend continue to be told to simply commemorate the life of this brave woman who might otherwise be forgotten in the pages of history? Maybe the legend is an attempt by the community to make sense out of Betty's bizarre disappearance by always having her present in the form of a ghost story. Perhaps it is all of these at the same time, like the details of Betty's bizarre disappearance we may never know for sure. Ladies and gentlemen, Act Four, Spirits of the Lake. Do those filthy Indians attend to keep that racket going all night? Surely their chanting doesn't annoy you, dear. I was just thinking how weirdly beautiful it sounded coming across the waters. Beautiful. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry you don't like it. You will hear it every evening while the new moon casts its reflection on the lake. Well, that's a pleasant prospect. You're terribly bored here, aren't you? Naturally I'm bored. I'm not accustomed to living in the wilderness where I see no one but stupid savages all day. Now you tell me I have to listen to them all night. That's the reason I purchased this island so close to the Indian reservation. I thought you would find their customs interesting and picturesque. Yeah. Roger, why don't you take a trip east? Then come back to me when you're over your restlessness. Oh, that's a fine idea, that would be. Our friends would crucify me for leaving you alone. Is that the only reason you stay here with me? You do love me, don't you? Husbands are supposed to love their wives. I'm in no mood for romance this evening. I don't suppose an invalid can expect her husband to be in the mood for romance, ever. But... But I won't be an invalid much longer, dear. I'm getting better every day. <coughs> oh, it's really very seldom I cough any more like that. But in a little while, I'll be completely well, and we can return to New York together, or travel to Europe. Anything you want to do. Oh, I mean to give you such a good time to make up for the dreary months you've spent out here because of me. Thanks for reminding me that to have a good time, I'm dependent on your money. I didn't mean that. All you right. know I didn't mean that. All right, let's not talk any more of you and me. No, we don't seem able to talk of you and me. Oh, God, if I have to listen to that savage caterwauling much longer, I'll go stark raving mad. Perhaps... 
Perhaps if you know the reason for the chanting, it might interest you a little. Two horses told me all about it th this afternoon. You know he's the old Indian that comes and visits our housekeeper. She's his cousin, I think, and Roger, it's the funniest thing, but they call me White Goose. And what about the chanting? <coughs> <coughs> oh, yes, well... It's, it's a ceremony the tribes hold each year at this time to appease the spirits of the lake. The Neba Norwegs, they call them. This is a holy lake to the Indians, you know. They say that if anyone affronts it or harms its friends, the lake spirits take terrible vengeance. Two horses spoke so convincingly that I made a peace offering to the lake. Peace offering? What do you mean? I cast a bouquet of flowers and said a prayer two horses taught me. Oh, God, no wonder they call you White Goose. Another month in this wilderness and you'll be going around clothed in a blanket. Roger? Oh, I'm going out. I'll paddle around in the canoe and work my nerves off. Norma can sit with you. You'll enjoy her Indian grunting more than my conversation anyway. Oh, Norma, come in here with Mrs. Benton. I'm going out. Huh, me come. Roger? Why not take me with you in the canoe? We haven't been together on the lake in over a week. Uh, some other time, not now. And don't wait up for me, I may be late. Roger, wait. Well? You're, you're not going to Johannesson's farm again. What do you mean? Oh, I know. It, it's quite all right, dear. But there's been some talk of you and that girl there that's... Oh, there has, huh? I'm having an affair with Hilda Johansson, I suppose. No, dear, no. No, no, that's what you have in your mind. It isn't bad enough I have to be cooped up with you among these dirty Indians, but now I mustn't even look at a decent-looking white woman. Roger. Oh, how I hate it all. This beastly island, these filthy savages, this slimy lake. How I hate... <laughs> Don't! Oh, I didn't say I hated you. I'll see you later. Good night. Poor white girl. My husband. He doesn't mean anything when he's being angry to me. He's really a very good man underneath. He better be good if he goes out on lake. What do you mean? You give flower to lake. You say Indian prayer. Neba nor Wegs, now your friend. If your man not good at you, Neba nor Wegs punish. Neba nor Wegs punish hard. Hilda, I, I'm mad, I insane about you. Why do you hold me off like this? Because you haven't any right to be insane about me. You're a married man. Oh, we're not children. You know I don't care a hang about my wife. Besides, it's just a question of time before she... Before she well, dies, you mean? Yes. Uh, she thinks she's getting better. The doctors don't tell her what they tell me. You know, when I'm free, I will marry you. I swear I will. I can't wait for you till then. I've got to have you, Hilda. I've got to... Let me go! You will only have me as your wife. I've told you that before. Well, if you really mean it, why don't you stop making a fool of me? Why don't you stop meeting me here by the lake every night? playing with me like a cat does with a mouse. Because I hope you will not always be a mouse, but a man that takes what he wants. What do you mean? 
simply that if you're so mad about me as you say, you'll not let a woman that you hate stand between us any longer. What can I do? Divorce is out of the question. Of course her money would be taken from you. Oh, I'm not thinking only of money. I'm not thinking only of divorce. What are you thinking of? Of how mistaken doctors are sometimes. Your wife might live for years unless an accident should happen. An accident? On this lake, for instance. It's very deep, and there are sharp rocks near the surface that could rip a canoe to pieces. You might be paddling with her in the moonlight, not knowing those rocks were near. You've told me your wife don't swim. She might drown before you could save her. You're suggesting... I'm only talking. But if such an accident should happen, you'd inherit all her money and have me for your wife. No, 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 no I, I won't. No, I, I couldn't. You are a mouse, not a man. I'm going. No, Hilda, wait. Hilda, don't leave me. I'm leaving you for good. Hilda. Oh, listen, you fool. I'm not satisfied being the daughter of a Swedish farmer. I want money. I want to live in a swell house like your wife has built in the middle of this lake. I want to be a lady and swell it over the people who despise me now because I'm poor. All my life I've dreamed of that, and I'm going to have it because I've got looks and youth and brains. If you don't give me what I want, then somebody else will. If you say I've played with you, then I play no more. Goodbye. No, 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 don't say that. Come back, Hilda. Hilda, I can't lose you. I'm mad about you. Well? As you say, an accident might happen. Accidents are common. You will marry me if my wife die is dead. I will marry you when your wife is dead. It's wonderful to be in the canoe with you again. It's been so long since we've been on the lake together. I feel like we're on a second honeymoon. <coughs> Aren't you... Aren't you enjoying it too, dear? Yes, yes. Oh, the world has never seemed so lovely as it does tonight. Isn't that distant chanting restful? You haven't complained about it this evening, so it must make you feel as I do. It sounds like what it really is, a prayer for the dying. Is that what they're singing? A death song? Yes. This is Indian summer. The moon of falling leaves, of dying things. Moon of falling leaves, of dying things. Dear, why are you so frightfully nervous tonight? Your hands are shaking as they work the paddles. I, I'm all right. No, you're not. You are so unhappy here. We will only come back for a day a year so that I can renew my offering to the spirits of the lake. I've taken the native belief quite seriously that I'm under their protection, according to Norma and two horses. Oh dear, oh be careful where you guide us. We are close to the sharp rocks the Indians call the Spirit's Challenge. They say the road to the villages of the happy dead lead over such rocks as that. Rocks with a knife-like edge on which only the good can keep their footing. The bad fall off into an abyss of eternal torment. Stop talking that savage rock. Dear! I I'm not afraid of spirits. They can't hurt me. And they will say it was an accident. Roger, you're mad! An accident, that's what they'll say, an accident. You are making for those rocks perfectly! An accident. You mean to drown me! Roger, don't! Turn back! Turn back! We're going to... Ah! Roger, save me! <laughs> 
Smithfield Crossing, only a few miles now. Anyone would think something was going to happen to you on the island the way you're whining about going back there. Oh, I don't want to go back there, Hilda. If you were anything more than a human cake of ice, you'd understand my feelings about that place. <laughs> what adorable conscience you have. After two long years, the accidental death of your wife bothers you as much as ever. Hilda, for God's sake, don't talk like that. Don't worry. I hardly think anyone is listening outside our stateroom door. You fooled the law for so long, they're not apt to get wise to you now. Oh, won't you ever let me forget? It was all your fault anyway. You planned it. You drove me to it. I had nothing to do with it. I wasn't even there. In fact, I know nothing about it. Oh, God. Snap out of this and get our bags together for the porter. If my folks are waiting at the station to meet us, I don't want them seeing you looking like a frightened cur. Couldn't we stay with your family while we're here, instead of on the island? Live in that dinky farmhouse when I can swell it over the neighbors in that big house on the island? I guess not. But Hilda, I told you I'd buy you a nicer place somewhere else. Hilda, I'll buy you anything you want, but don't make me go back there. You could buy me the most expensive mansion on Park Avenue, and it wouldn't give me the kick of living on that island, owning that big house there, swelling it over the people who knew me when I was poor. You've kept it from me for two years, but now I'm going to have it. You don't understand. Oh, yes, I do. There isn't just conscience that troubles you. You're afraid of the place. Afraid of an Indian superstition. No, no. Yes, you are. Your other wife made you believe there were spirits in that lake. Some sort of Indian goblins who'd make you pay for what you did to her. You said she called upon them as she sank beneath the water. Yes. With her last breath, she called on them to... Yeesh. I'll go with you, Hilda. Just let's not talk about it anymore. All right. Well, come on in. If my family is waiting here, they can drive us to Two Horses Place, and he can row us to the island. Okay, get those bags together. Coming back during Indian summer. The moon of falling leaves. What about it? It's time to do the rest. Who's there? Porter, ma'am. We've come to your station. Oh, we're ready. Open the door and help him get the bags. The moon of falling leaves, the time of dead things. <sighs> the house looks simply great, Norma. You'd never know it had been vacant for two years the way you've kept it. I've been over every inch, Roger, and it's spotless. <laughs> this squaw is worth a raise in wages. You'll like me for a boss, old woman. Norma, your, your people are singing their prayer to the spirits of the lake. Mmm, it's for the moon of falling leaves. Yes, I know, and... and of dying things. Me go now. Run along, two horses riding in the rowboat. Uh, mind you, bring back everything I'm sending you for, too. Norma, wait a minute. Is the... is the canoe in good shape if we wanted to leave the island? What do you mean if we want to leave the island? The canoe, all right. Go on, get out! Me go. <sighs> Haven't you any sense at all? The way you've acted since we've landed here, even those stupid Indians know you're scared to death at the place. You want them to suspect the reason why? I think they've always suspected. Now we're alone here, you and me. And what of it? Let's get out of this kitchen. You'd best lay down a while, see if you can pull yourself together. I'll try. Wait till I pull down that window. I, I, I can't stand the noise of those drums, that chanting. Well, I'm not crazy about it myself. Hmm. Looks like a storm is blowing up. Come into the living room. No, no, Hilda, I can't do it. I forgot. That's where they brought her when they found her in the lake. Yes, they laid her on the divan in there. I had to go in and look at her. 
Hilda, you think I'm mad to think that there are spirits in these waters, as the Indians say, spirits who love Bernice, who would punish those who hurt her. There was something queer about the way they brought her from the lake. What do you mean? It was as though the lake had had taken care of her. Taken care of her? Yes. You know the slime that coats the surface in this month of falling leaves? Green, filthy slime that rises from the bottom and covers all it touches? Bernice's clothes were sodden. Leaves were entangled in her matted hair. The ugly slime had never touched her. The lake had not defiled the one who loved it. (laughs) What a booby you are. Your mind is so filled with crazy notions about the place, you're only a step above a lunatic. Now that you're here and can see for yourself there is nothing to be afraid of, you may come to your senses. Come on, we're going in that living room. You you, you must be right. There, There can't be anything to be afraid of. Why, of course there isn't. Come on. (coughs) Hilda, wait. What's the matter? I thought I heard a cough. A cough? Yes. (coughs) There it is again. There's someone in that room. Now, who's... No, no, don't open that door. What's the matter with you? You're... What is a sheet? Hilda, that's the way she used to cough. You're crazy. It's probably Norma. She's come in through the other door. No, look out the window. Norma is with two horses in the middle of the lake. It's funny. I don't see how anyone else can be in the house. I inspected every room. (coughs) It's the cough again. I'll soon find out who's doing it. Hilda, don't open that door. Get out of my way, you coward. (coughs) I thought so. The room is empty. Empty. (coughs) There's that cough again. It's from the next room. Don't leave me, Hilda. No, this room is empty too. Oh, thank God. Funny we should both hear that cough. You've talked to me so much you've got me imagining things. Yeah, maybe we imagined it. It's going to rain. Do you feel how damp it's grown suddenly? Very damp, suddenly. Where did that come from? What? A moment ago, this room was clean as a pin. What do you see? Look there on my rug, a patch of... Oh, it's slime. Green slime from the bottom of the lake. That squaw didn't clean this. No, no, it wasn't there a minute ago. You said yourself. I must have overlooked it. Hilda, look, there's more. That spot wasn't there before. And there's another patch on the divan. Slime. Green slime from the bottom of the lake. Hilda, the spot on the divan is growing larger. It is. What's causing it? That divan is where they laid her. Oh, stop that. There's a natural explanation for this, and we've got to find it. Ah, a a patch of slime fell on my hand. From where? I don't know. It's crawling all around it. The spot on the divan. It's still growing. There's water soaked all over. It's from the day she laid there. She's dead and buried. It's from something else. (coughs) That cough again. She's here, though we can't see her. No, I won't believe it. Water is oozing from the walls and, and slime. Slime, green slime. Water is coming from the plumbing, from rain. Something natural. No, no, it's from the lake. The lake is going to punish us. I knew it would if we came back. I had nothing to do with it. It was you who killed her. It was you who made me and... Ah, ah, on the couch. <gasps> A woman's body? Hers. As I saw it when they brought it in. Let me out of here, let me out! Yes, run, run, run! To the canoe! Get me off this island! This way! 
Oh, God, but if we leave the Isle of the Lake, we'll get us. It has nothing against me. I didn't do anything. No slime fell on me. Oh, it's dripping from the tree. It's falling all against it. it. It's falling on both of us. You as well as me. Slime, ugly slime from the bottom of the lake. The canoe, the canoe at last. Shove off. No, that's what it wants, to get me on the water. Quick, don't stand here. I won't go on that lake. Ah! Look behind you! Bernice, the woman that we killed. Shove off, get away, she's coming toward us. Yes, yeah, as her cold, wet arms are reaching out for me. Paddle, paddle! Yes. She's reached the water's edge. With her hair all matted, the slime that covers us has not defiled her. Get me away! Use all your strength! Paddle! Paddle! The paddle! It, it, it snapped in two. It was eaten through by worms. Worms from the lake. Now we're drifting. No, we're going too fast! Something is pulling us through the water. Something we can't see. We're going towards the rocks! Yes. The spirit's challenge. <laughs> the road to death leads over rocks like that, she told me. Only the good can keep their footing on them. The bad fall off into eternal torment. I'm not going to be smashed against them. I'm going to swim. You can't save yourself. She bade the lake to punish us. It won't let us go. Oh, help! Help! Something's dragging me down! Spirits of the lake. The Neba Norweg. The, the rocks, the road to death, eternal torment. I, I feel cold hands pulling me down through the slime at the bottom. Bernice, you, you prayed to the lake to punish slime. The slime that spared her will cover me forevermore. Ladies and gentlemen, to end our show tonight, we want to bring all of our radio theater performers back out on stage to give them a chance to introduce themselves. So, ladies and gentlemen, Judge Paul. Hi, everybody. I have my director, Josh Maley, here. I don't know if he's coming around, uh, but we are Grim Sleeper Productions. We are a a film production company that we center around a lot of um, Center PA and Pittsburgh related films. Um, we have a YouTube channel and it's Grimm's Frightmares. Uh, Grimm's Scary Tales is the actual YouTube channel name and we do a show where we uh, narrate submitted stories, real events, and some fiction. Josh has done a lot of really great work that has to do with, again, the Mystery Mile. It's a, we had a little taste of what, we've, what we're going to be doing. We're going to be releasing a documentary. If you're interested in the Mystery Mile, that's Wolf Run Road in this area. Josh can there, speak there a little bit more to that. Now. There he comes. We find him. Josh Maley, ladies and gentlemen. Josh, how are you? Hi. Thanks, Tony. Uh, I'm part of Grim Sleeper Productions. I actually founded the company a couple of years ago, um, based in Center Township. Uh, I have a very active interest in the horror genre, so that's most of what we do right now. Um, plans to expand uh, into some other things. 
Uh, recently, we uh, had our first film uh, on the festival circuit, a little uh, short film called 415 starring Jess here. Recently, we had uh, our premiere for that film at the uh, Pittsburgh Independent Film Festival over the summer. We just went to the Haunted Oaks Film Festival here a few weeks ago. Uh, we were honored to bring home four awards uh, from that festival for the film, including Best Actress and uh, Audience Choice, which of course means a lot too. So. That's, uh, that's our production company bit. Um, we're also working on a documentary on Mystery Mile. The story that we told was about that road. Uh, I grew up near there. My dad actually really did grow up on that road and tell me tons of ghost stories about it. And it kind of ignited my imagination, which is part of the reason why I'm standing here now. Um, we are working towards a feature film based on the road called The Way of Seeming, of which Jess already has a, a lead role secured for that. But um, uh, in the meantime, we're working on a documentary about the road as well as a book. So lots of local fun stuff happening. Well, you're very busy. We wish both of you so much. Good luck. Thanks. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I'm Jim, uh, Jim Kappas. I perform mostly with the Cellar Dwellers, of whom you've seen two others tonight, Theo Redinger and Bridget Yeager. And I don't know if we want to do all three of us right now, perhaps, or do they want to come up now? Theo, Bridget? The three of us uh, make up a uh, over half of the performing troupe of the Cellar Dwellers. Um, we are a comedy improv troupe, so a little bit different than what you saw us doing here today. Uh, we perform every Friday night here. Every Friday. People here have clearly been to our show before. Uh, Theo and Bridget, anything you guys want to say? I may as well add that tonight there is a very special feature. You already bought the ticket for this program, and if anybody's interested in coming down to the third floor of the Beaver Valley Bowl, way less than a mile away, you can just see our performance tonight for free, starting at 10. So, turnaround's pretty quick, but we would love to see you all again, and we would like to thank you for your support this evening. Buy one, get one free sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, right? Absolutely, yes. No, please come down and see us. Like I said, a little bit a little bit lighter fare maybe than we did here tonight. But uh, thank you to uh, TSVP and all the other acts tonight. Yes. Yes, thank you, everybody. Uh, Larry, Larry Spinweber. Larry, come on out here. I'm Larry Spinweber, and I'm a member of our act Theater Productions along with... All of these other people here. <laughs> Everybody introduce yourself one at a time. Oh, my name is Scott Reinard. Thank you very much for coming tonight. It's been a great pleasure of mine to be in the show. This is Miss Danielle Lang. Because I couldn't do that myself. Hi, Kevin McGuire. Hey, thanks for coming, everybody. Great crowd. We're members of RX Community Theater. We are located on Brighton Avenue-ish in Rochester. Um, we are currently in the process of moving to our new Seagriff stage, which is, will be located, um, what's the address? The new address? Brighton Avenue, I don't know. <laughs> in Rochester. In, in Rochester. Rochester. If you're familiar with our old stage, the Avenue Theater, we're gonna be like two or three doors down from that. I believe that we will be up and running um, sometime next year. We should. So. We should be opening our 2019 season and the beginning of March in our new theater. And for those who may not be familiar, our act is we are finishing our 26th year. We are Beaver County Community Theater. 
We do a full year of shows. We do comedies, murder mysteries, usually a classic, a theater classic, and we close this year with a holiday radio drama. So if you like radio dramas, November 30th and December 1st at Merrick Art Gallery, we will be performing my adaptation of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Excellent, excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give all the Rhonda applause. We've all worked very, very hard. I thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for coming tonight. We'll see you again next year, of course, at the Rochester Borough Theater. And of course, on our radio theater podcast, available on the Social Voice Project Network. On behalf of myself, Tony Lavorna, author, writer, researcher, I'd like to bid you all a very good night to everyone and a very safe and happy Halloween. You are listening to a production of the Social Voice Podcast Network.